Our scripture this morning is going to be taken from the Gospel of Luke. You can find that in your bulletin. Has everybody got a Christmas list ready? Kids very eagerly uh, answered that. Um, you know, parents, I hear Walmart has the iPhone 5 on sale for like $33, so just think you should put one for every kid this year. All to, they all ought to get one. Just trying to help you out. When, <clears throat> when I was a kid, you know, it was the, it was the Sears Robot catalog, and I'll date myself with that. Uh, but, but some of you remember that. You got that big, thick catalog every Christmas, and you just go through and circle everything in there that you wanted. Now Susan and I just kind of look at each other and like, what do you want for Christmas? I don't, know. don't worry about it. I got something for myself. I'll put it on. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Or <clears throat> you may have reached the point of my dad, and I think I was telling some of you the story the other day. When I was a kid, my dad would get where we would say, what do you want for Christmas? Nothing. You don't have to give me nothing. I, I'm fine. And just he would not tell us anything. And so finally we got so frustrated with him that we took a piece of uh, construction paper and wrote nothing on it and wrapped it up and put it under the tree and gave it to him. So <laughs> be careful what you ask for uh, at Christmas. Well, we've got our Christmas list that we're all working on, things we want. But then we've got those things that we, that we really want. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you, what, not, just, not just the list that you're giving everybody, but what do you really want for Christmas? What do you really want to see happen uh, in your life? There might be things uh, on there like, I, I really need to get a promotion at work. Or I really want to hear good test results back from the doctor. Or I really would like my children to get their act together. Or I really like to get my act together. Uh, I'd really like to be uh, in, in a relationship. I'd like to, to not be so alone this Christmas. That, that's what I really want. I'm not going to put that on a list and hand it to anybody, but that, that's what I would really like for Christmas. And then there's, there's one thing that's probably on all of our lists this morning. Uh, we would like for some Christmas magic somehow to come down and undo what just happened at elementary school in Connecticut this past week. We would like for that just to be erased, for those children to still be alive and to be able to spend Christmas with their parents, with their families. Uh, every one of us would trade in everything on our Christmas list if that could come to pass. And, and you know what we're, what we're yearning for in that is, is we're really yearning for this twisted, broken, and evil world not to be twisted and broken and evil any longer. We want it to be made right and good and beautiful as it should be. And you know, that's the, that longing is, is really the same thing we're longing for in our individual lives as well. Um, we, we've got our superficial Christmas list. Oh, just give me a set of screwdrivers. I don't, I don't care. Just, just wrap something up and put it under the tree. Uh, the one we tell people about. And then we've got that, that hidden list that reflects the deeper desires of our hearts. Uh, the, the things that we really struggle with and that we really need for Christmas. But both of those lists are connected. Both of those lists are connected. What we realize when we make that deeper list, that less superficial list, is that there really is something broken about this world that we live in. And there really is something broken about our particular lives. 
that we would like to see made well. But even with the more shallow list, and, and, and we may not realize it necessarily, but what we're doing when we're asking for the iPads and the iPods and the new cars and the new clothes is, is we're trying to put a little happiness band-aid over the cracks in our lives. Uh, or we're looking for something to give us just a little jolt of happiness in the midst of so much unhappiness. And then after a while, that, that jolt, kind of like caffeine, wears off. And we start looking for the next jolt, the next hit. We don't want the world to be broken. We want it to be fixed. We want death to be done away with. We want this place to work like it's supposed to work, for there to be gladness instead of sorrow. And the good news of Christmas is that God wants that too. That God wants that too. And that's why He sent Jesus. We can't make this world right. Because we can't make our own hearts right. But God can, and Jesus came to do just that. And so what I want us to think about as we read this text this morning uh, is the fact that Christmas is about this gift that God has given us. And we're going to talk about what it is and why we need it and why God gives it. And then I want you to think about what your reaction to it is. Uh, But here's our scripture, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and this is God's word. In the, excuse me, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Which he was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you give us hope uh, and even joy as we look uh, this morning at the good news of your word, the good news of Christmas. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to <clears throat> excuse me, look at is what is this gift that God gives to us at Christmas? Or more appropriately, who is the gift? Because that's where our story starts. It starts with a young woman named Mary. Mary's sitting at home one day. Uh, she's probably leafing through Bride Magazine, getting ready for her big uh, wedding with Joseph, when suddenly uh, Gabriel pops in. All right, not your normal morning. Gabriel appears and says to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And, and I just love how verse 29 describes her reaction. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Who are you calling favored one? What are you up to, Gabriel? What, what do you mean by this greeting? And Gabriel tells her, Everything's okay. Uh, but I need to tell you uh, that you're going to have a son. He's not going to be conceived in the normal way. He's going to be conceived by the very power of the Holy Spirit, by His supernatural work. And He's a gift to you. Not only a gift to you, but He'll be a gift to the entire world. Now, we're going to come back to Mary's reaction to this in a minute. Uh, But just think for a minute about this gift that God has promised to Mary. Gabriel tells us uh, that her son's name will be Jesus. Uh, We read uh, in the Gospel of Matthew that he was named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. Yahweh saves. God saves. Gabriel goes on to tell us that the child will be great. That he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. Holy, that he has been given the throne of King David, that he will reign forever and ever, and that his kingdom will have no end. Mary, Gabriel says, your son, the son that is coming, is going to be the king. The king, the king that has been promised. And his reign will never end. He will rule, and he will rule well forever. Now, Can you imagine being excited about a president who is going to reign forever? Is anybody getting pumped up about that? Can you think of any any presidents you felt that way about? Probably not. Have you ever read a book that was so good that you didn't speed up because it was so good, but you started slowing down when you got to the end because you, you didn't want it to be over? You just wanted it to go on and on and on. Or can you imagine... A ruler who actually did what he promised he would do. A ruler who has 
the ability to fix the deepest problems of the world and the deepest problems of our hearts as well. That's the son that was given to Mary. That's the gift of Christmas. The first Christmas was God giving a gift to Mary, but it's a gift to the whole world, and it's a gift to you as well. Why do we need this gift? Why do we need this gift of a Savior King? Uh, One of my preacher friends on Facebook this Friday wrote, Dear Jesus, your birth was greeted by a holocaust, and your death was a senseless act of violence. The suffering continues. Please help us. What was he talking about that that Jesus' birth was, was greeted by a holocaust? Well, listen to the words of Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, Herod was king during uh, the time of Jesus' birth and the news that there would be a new king, that a new king of the Jews was being born was a threat to Herod. And so he wants the wise men to tell him where exactly this baby is so that he can go and worship him. Uh, When the wise men don't come back and they don't tell him where Jesus is, he decides to take whatever steps are necessary to ensure that Jesus is destroyed. And so he orders all of the boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem, age 2 and under, to be killed. He wants to make sure that he remains king himself. He will not have another come and rule over him. So even as Jesus is coming... To put an end to the madness, the madness continues. And the madness continues today. That's why we need a a Savior King. We need a Savior King who will put an end to the madness. We need a Savior King because we can't control the madness in our own hearts. Because like Herod, we look to false saviors. We hold on to power. Like Herod, we don't want someone else ruling over us. We would instead be king. You know, there's going to be a a lot of talk uh, over the coming weeks about gun control and school safety and mental illness, and and that's a fine conversation to have. But, But what are we really asking in that as we have that conversation? What are we asking? We're asking... Why do things like this keep happening, and, and why, what do we do to stop it? Why do these things keep happening, and, and what do we do to stop it? And here's the thing. Things like this were happening 2,000 years ago, and things like this will be happening 2,000 years from now if Jesus, Jesus hasn't returned by then. I'm not saying we throw our hands in the air and give up and don't try to do anything. But I am saying that Jeremiah 17 is true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that's not just the heart of mad men like Herod. 
That's the heart of men like you and me. I have a desperately sick heart, and I need a desperate, and I desperately need a great Savior to fix that heart, to cure that heart. I can't cure the sickness of my own heart. I can't cure the sickness of the hearts of the people around me. I can't remake the world so that tragedy and weeping no longer happen. I can't do that. We cannot do that collectively as a society, no matter how many laws we pass. And I think, y'all, that's one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves. And it's not just in the face of big tragedies, but we do this day after day when we buy our gun, when we get our larger dog, uh, when, we, when we put on our seatbelts, when we use sunscreen, when we take our vitamin D, when we work out religiously, when we move in to the safer neighborhood. We can't save ourselves from the insanity no matter how many steps we take. We don't have the power. We don't have the power to stop it. We need a Savior King. Someone who can. Someone who has come to do just that. Well, why does God give this gift of a Savior King? Look at verse 54 and 55 again. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. From the very beginning of the Bible, uh, ever since the fall, God has promised to do something about the brokenness of the world. Uh, God appears to Abraham in Genesis 12 and promises to make him a great blessing, a blessing that will be for the world In Genesis 22, he tells him that through his offspring, through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham that has come to bring blessing and peace to the earth. And Mary senses that too. That Jesus is the one who has been promised. He is the one to bring the blessings God has promised. God hasn't forgotten His promises. God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't ceased to be merciful. God gives the gift of Jesus because He has promised to do so. He gives the gift of Jesus because He is a merciful and gracious God. You know, the amazing thing about the Bible really is is that it doesn't end after Adam and Eve sinned against God. That it doesn't just stop right there. Well, and God say, well, never mind then. God longs to restore this world he's created. He longs to restore uh, fallen men and women. And the whole Bible, just as yes, is a story of sin and destruction and the effects of sin in the world. It's also, of, it's also the story of a loving God working in the midst of, of that sin and evil, working against that sin and evil, sometimes working through that sin and evil in the case of the cross of Christ, but working in all of this to accomplish His purpose of bringing about the healing of the world, the healing of our hearts, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, we make Christmas about, we can make it about gifts, Uh, We can make it all about family. We can make it all about our traditions. But Christmas really is about the arrival of 
the king who has come to make all things well. He's come to make all things well. Uh, the hobbits just come out. Some of you may have seen it already. Uh, you'll remember the, the great line from the Lord of the Rings where Sam Gamgee finds out that his friend Gandalf, who he thought was dead, isn't actually dead. Uh, and he says this. I'm sorry if I spoiled it, David. It's a 10-year-old movie. Um, he, he says, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? When we celebrate Christmas morning, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has come to undo the sadness. Jesus has come to undo the sadness because the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have made it their business and their delight to do so. One of the hymns I think I love more and more uh, through the years at Christmas uh, is joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. God remembers his mercy he remembers his promises and he has sent his son Jesus to make all things new. That's the gift of Christmas. What's your reaction to that gift? What's your reaction to the gift God has, has given? You can tell at Christmas what someone thinks of a gift by their reaction to it. Thanks. What is it? Uh, where did you get? The, did you get a receipt? Uh, you can kind of tell how they how they feel about the gift. What's your reaction to the gift of Jesus Christ? I, I think Mary's reaction is instructive for us. Uh, look first of all in verse twenty nine uh, again. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What was she taken aback by? She was taken aback by the fact that God was showing favor to her. Who was she that he would show her such favor? Uh, Then in verse 48, uh, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Who am I that God should grant me this privilege? Who am I that God should give me this gift? Who am I that God should show me this favor? Are you humbled by the gift that is the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you humbled by the fact that the way Jesus brings about your salvation, the way that Jesus begins to make all things new is through His death on the cross for you? Are you humbled by that? Are you overjoyed by that? Are you offended by that? Offended that someone would say that you're bad enough that someone has to die for you in order to make you right with God. Maybe just offended by the idea of sin in general. Uh, But let me caution you to be careful. Because when you do away with the category of sin, you do away with your right to be outraged about murder and crime and deceit and evil. Because if these things aren't 
sin, then they aren't really evil. If they're not sin against God, then what are they but random unfortunate events in a random unfortunate universe with no real purpose? Let me caution you as well to be careful because while God shows great mercy to the humble, He doesn't react the same way to the proud. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And yet, He's exalted those of humble estate. Mary's taken aback by God's favor, by God's gift to her. Uh, the second thing we see about Mary is her her trust in God's word. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be for me according to your word. Let it be for me according to your word. Just as, just as God called Mary to trust in His Word, God calls us to trust in His Word that He has sent Jesus to be the Savior King. That through faith in Him, my sins might be forgiven. God calls us to trust that Word from Him. And the third thing you see from Mary here, and I won't read this again, though, is just her, her overflowing praise for God. Here's a test for you. Here's one of the ways you can tell whether you're a real Christian or just a Southern churchian, uh, a, a Southern churchgoer. Does the story of Christmas cause your heart to overflow with praise for God? When we love something, we praise it. In fact, our, our enjoyment of, of something is actually com- completed when we praise it. I don't really enjoy the big game until I'm able to talk about the big game with you. Praising it is, is complete and is part of the enjoyment. Is your heart made glad by the good news of Christmas? Is your heart rejoice that Jesus has come to make all things new? Jesus is the gift of Christmas. God has sent His Son into the world to deliver it from its sin and sorrow, to deliver you from your sin and sorrow. Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you embrace that? Why wouldn't you just say, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in on that. Uh, one reason I think that we, we don't want that is that we naturally don't want a king. We don't want someone ruling over us. And like Herod, honestly... We'd rather have Jesus out of the picture because he threatens our autonomy. Uh, The second reason is that while we may be looking for a Savior of some sort, we haven't figured out that Jesus is the Savior that we need yet. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. What are you looking for to fill you? What are you looking for to save you? What's standing in the place of Jesus in your life? There's a third reason we might be prone to reject this gift that God brings us at Christmas. We look, honestly, some of us look at the suffering of this past week and you wonder where God was. You hear people say things like that. You wonder how a a good God could allow such things 
to happen. There's a, a very good op-ed piece yesterday in the New York Times by Ross Duthat, or however he says his name, um, but, but <laughs> I enjoy his columns. And he writes this, in Dostoevsky's famous novel, Ivan is the Karamazov brother who collects stories of children tortured, beaten, killed, babes caught on the points of soldiers' bayonets, a surf boy run down by his master's hounds, a child of five locked in a freezing outhouse by her parents. Ivan invokes these innocents in a speech that remains one of the most powerful rebukes to the idea of a loving, omniscient God. A speech that accepts the possibility that the Christian story of free will leading to suffering and then eventually redemption might be true, but rejects its author anyway on the grounds that the price of our freedom is too high. Can you understand, he asked his more religious sibling, why a little creature who can't even understand what's done to her should beat her little aching heart with her tiny fist in the dark and the cold and weep her meek, unresentful tears to dear, kind God to protect her? Do you understand why this infamy must be and is permitted? Even the hope of heaven, he tells his brother, isn't worth the tears of that one tortured child. Uh, the columnist writes, it's telling that Dostoevsky, himself a Christian, so the guy that wrote this is a believer, uh, is telling that Dostoevsky offered no direct theological rebuttal to his character's speech. The counterpoint to Ivan is supplied by other characters' examples of Christian love transcending suffering, not by a rhetorical justification of God's goodness. In this, the Russian novelist was being true to the spirit of the New Testament, which likewise seeks to establish God's goodness through a narrative rather than an argument. New Testament seeks to establish God's goodness through a narrative rather than an argument. A revelation of his solidarity with human struggle rather than a philosophical proof of his benevolence. See, here's the thing, as Tim Keller puts it, the Bible doesn't give a reason why for the suffering in the world. And when we look at the cross, we still don't know what the answer is. But we know what the answer isn't. It can't be, he writes, that God doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering, suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. He takes our suffering and misery so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. It's true of no other religion that God would become man and take on our suffering, that our suffering might be taken up and healed. Christmas is about Jesus uh, becoming Emmanuel, God with us, but he becomes God in order to take on our suffering in order to suffer himself so that one day death and suffering will be done away with, swallowed up by the suffering of the servant king. There's a song we like to sing from time to time. I believe it's from, from Psalm 130, but I'm not sure. But it goes like this. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows. Our utmost need it soundeth. 
Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. That's the good news of Christmas. And even if you don't think that's true, you ought to want that to be true. And you owe it to yourself to search the scriptures and see that truth for yourself. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, our, uh, our hearts do go out uh, to those families in Connecticut who have experienced the suffering of this world in an unbelievably difficult way this week. Father, we can't imagine. We wouldn't know what to say to them if we were there. We wouldn't know what to do if we were in their shoes. And so, Father, all we can do is to weep with those who weep and yet rejoice that Jesus has come so that suffering will be no more. So that indeed everything sad will come untrue. So that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And yet the only way he could do that, the only way he could ensure that, was to suffer himself. And so, Father, even as we give you thanks for baby Jesus in the manger, we give you thanks for baby Jesus suffering on the cross for us. We pray in his name. Amen.